Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 144 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Healing Prodigy, an interview with Natalie Torres. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So Matt, we named this episode The Healing Prodigy because this young woman just blew us away. One of the things we've learned through many of our podcast episodes in the past is that Eastern healing methods work, but no one has ever really been able to describe for us why they work and certainly not been able to use Western terms to describe for us why the Eastern methods are so successful. But this young woman bridged that gap and actually helped us to understand why so many of the Eastern healing techniques that she's using are effective. And Rich, this podcast episode started off like many others, talking about oral antibiotics, IV antibiotics, and IV glutathione. But then Natalie started to drop knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb on us. For example, we talked about things like microdosing with mushrooms. We talked about mineral detoxing, Cambo to treat Lyme disease, water creating inflammation in the body, Kundalini yoga to heal your nervous system, social paranoia with Lyme and how to manage and handle that social paranoia. And we even talked about breath work to purify and alkaline your blood and strengthen your lungs, brain, and immune system. We talked about all of these things and so much more in this podcast episode. So Matt, I'm really excited to introduce the healing prodigy, Natalie Torres, to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hey, Natalie Torres, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We're, we're blessed to have you, and uh, we're really excited to have you as well. So Natalie, talk to us about where you're from. Um, I'm from Houston, Texas, and I was born south of Houston in Friendswood. And um, yeah, I, I grew up in the suburbs and most of my childhood, I was, you know, just playing sports and copying my big brother. And, you know, I'm just like a normal small town-ish girl. Small town Texas gal, uh, just uh, <laughs> living the dream, right? So Natalie, how did you, um, how did you envision your future when you were growing up in your small town in Texas? Um, I like probably eight up until 13, I was, I didn't really dream that big. I was kind of living in survival mode. I spent a lot of my childhood just having like a lot of like anxiety and never really fitting in. And, um, yeah, I was always going to like this natural doctor whenever I was younger. So Aside from that, I, I did like play sports and just fought, try to follow my brother's footsteps, but I didn't really start envisioning my future until I was like 12 or 13. And so when, when you finally got to that age, what was your vision for your future? I, I fell in love with makeup and I wanted to be a makeup artist. And then um, I learned about the modeling industry. So once I realized I could be in, immersed in makeup and also model, I, my goal is just to model. And it was everything I thought about. And I, I signed up for every photo shoot I could. And I signed up for like any modeling competition I could. And that was just like my life from age 12 until I got signed. So talk to us about when you got signed and what that experience was like. So I... So funny. I got signed to an LA agency when I was 15, but the reason I flew out there was actually for a doctor's appointment. <laughs> um, there is this doctor out in uh, Newport Beach called Dr. Amen. I don't know if you've heard of him. Daniel Amen. Yes, we've heard of Dr. Amen. Yeah. And I was having a lot of like psych psychiatric symptoms. 
I got diagnosed with, um, not from Dr. Amen, but previously with like major depression, <clears throat> all kinds of anxiety. Um, and then the one doctor even told me I was bipolar because what, which what I now know is like a vagus nerve, uh, malfunction from the Lyme disease. Um, and so, yeah, I went to Dr. Amen's office and I got all these supplements and everything. Nothing really came from that. But aside from that, I also got signed um, with a modeling agency out there, but they wanted me to move to LA. And so I put that off to the back burner and um, finished school because I was only 15. Okay. And, mm -hmm. So talk to us about when your Lyme disease symptoms began to develop. When did you first start to develop the symptoms that you now know to be your Lyme disease? Probably at age 12. Um, I went two weeks without going to the bathroom. Um, my joints hurt and I, I had like migraines. Um, and then like I tested positive for low thyroid and um, I just felt like super weird, like depressed and that would be anxious. And I just didn't feel good in my body. And so I got the positive labs for hypothyroidism, rheumatoid arthritis, um, like, what is it? Fibromyalgia and then chronic fatigue. And I was on all kinds of prescriptions by the time I was 16. So you believe that the symptoms that you started to show at 12 and went all the way until you're 16, now looking back, you believe are Lyme related, but at that time you were not diagnosed with Lyme disease. Yeah, absolutely. Because my mom started getting sick at the same time. Okay. And was she showing the same type of symptoms that you were showing at that time? Yeah. Um, and she had the same, she didn't have a, uh, she never got tested for uh, RA rheumatoid arthritis until like a few years later, but she tested positive like afterwards for osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis and then um, hypothyroidism as well. So we know that Lyme disease is a family disease and it's very common for more than one person in a family to suffer from Lyme disease in large part because they're living in the same community and they're living in the same communities and, and they have uh, the greater likelihood of coming in contact with ticks. So let's talk about what you knew about ticks and Lyme disease during your childhood in rural Texas. Um, I had no idea about ticks. Like that is not even talked about here. And in fact, like if you do test positive for Lyme, they, the CDC uh, or the Texas Board um, of Infectious Disease, they like make you prove it with a bunch of labs, which is so expensive and traumatizing. Like, wh like why are we being gaslit by these officials? But yeah, um, up until I got po uh, positive labs, like I had no idea what Lyme disease was. So we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about gaslighting in a minute, but let's say focused on your childhood. So the, you knew nothing about ticks and nothing about Lyme disease. So you didn't have the ability to protect yourself, right? So you didn't, there was no, no educational programs at school and there was no information given to you by your parents or any elders in your family that would help you to understand that you needed to protect yourself from coming in contact with ticks. No, not at all. Like we, as kids, like my brother and I, we were just like running around barefoot in the woods, like playing in the rain. Um, There's a creek behind our house. Like we would just like be in our swimsuits, just like playing hide and go seek in the woods and had no idea that 
we were surrounded by ticks that and, could and, make and, us and you had no idea that you should be protecting yourself meaning you didn't put on any any kind of bug spray not and you at all try to avoid areas where ticks may exist you were just sort of living living the dream in rural texas and um and and being uh, blissful about uh, about what could have happened totally um we never wore bug spray we spent most of our days just outside playing. So let's talk about how your symptoms developed and you had a second um, bout with what you now know to be your Lyme disease where you got your diagnosis. So take us through what your life was like between 12 and the time you finally got your diagnosis. So from in like junior high and high school, I was definitely suffering. I um, was living in so much pain emotionally and physically. Like I was suicidal. Um, I just, with all the diagnoses I'd gotten, I just felt like so dark and there was no, I, I knew like on a soul level that there was something more going on and that I wasn't crazy and that these labels about my mental health were false because nobody else in my family had these labels. Um, and I knew at my core, like this, this wasn't going to be my future. Like I knew like there's something more to this, but I just spent my days like, like sluggish going through high school. I skipped so many days of high school. I got um, homeschooled for a year um, because of how much pain I was living in. And because like getting up was so hard, like I couldn't focus in school. I was behind and my grades were horrible. Um, and I was treated by teachers, um, you know, that I was just like unfocused and everything, but really looking back, I was suffering so hard. And um, it was just very much like foot on the gas for a little bit than like complete, completely being out of gas. And so I can see why like a doctor would say I was bipolar, but um, like I was really truly suffering. Um, and then also, um, I, I really wanted to make it in modeling. Like I would always dream about it. Like every night before I'd go to sleep, I would just visualize myself traveling. Um, I would visualize myself like just being around like makeup and creativity. And so I was always just applying myself, like, um, literally like to modeling agencies in New York, like, go ahead. So Natalie, talk to us about how your symptoms and your illness were interfering with your pursuits, both in the makeup and in the modeling elements of your, of your dream career. Um, my symptoms are interfering in a way that it felt like I would be super focused and inspired, but then I would just wake up one day and that would be gone or the energy to pursue that would be gone. How were your symptoms impacting you socially? Meaning how were other kids that you were interacting with at that time treating you? Um, I, I never had like, I, I hung out with the misfits and like, I feel like my symptoms never really caused any issues other than me just being really depressed. You know what I mean? And I never really felt like I fit in just because I was dealing with way more than somebody my age than most people my age. Were there any people that were close to you that you either had intimate relationships with or close family relationships with that you think um, didn't understand your illness and didn't treat you properly because they didn't understand your illness? 
Yeah, I definitely feel like my brother just treated me like I was crazy um, for quite some time until I got a proper diagnosis, just because my mood was very much like, like I was very depressed, you know what I mean? Um, and then my dad also would gaslight me because on the outside, I looked so healthy. Like I was a weightlifter. I was always training to model, you know? And so he would be like, how are you? Like just last week you were training, like what's wrong with you now? You know, like, oh, you must be losing motivation or focus. Like what's wrong with you? Um, so there was a lot of that going on just like, like my breath between my dad and my brother wasn't vocal about it. It was more like, you know, like you could just see it in his, his body language, but my dad was, is, and was pretty vocal about it. And what impact did your dad's gaslighting have on your relationship with your dad? Um, I just, I definitely felt in the past and sometimes now that like, I know, like I can't really go to him cause he, even though his family is sickly, he's so freaking healthy and has never really been super depressed. Like he is just a steady flat line. So he's not always compassionate. And also I do look healthy on the outside. So that is just super confusing for him. Were there other people who observed that you looked good and therefore couldn't be sick? And what impact did that observation have on you emotionally? Absolutely. Like just being a model for one thing, like anytime you complain, people like don't take you seriously in general, but yeah, throughout my teens, all the way up till recently, like I still hear to this day, well, you look fine. Like, well, you're here at this event. Like, how can you be sick? You know, but people don't realize like it took me like 48 hours to like energetically prepare myself to show up at that event. You know what I mean? So Natalie, when did you ultimately get your Lyme disease diagnosis? Um, I didn't get diagnosed until 2017 and I was 20, 24. And so, um, yeah, I had gone to a music festival with my ex and we camped and I was just like hanging out in the grass, like not even thinking about ticks, like not wearing a lot of clothes and just living my life. And <laughs> I come back and um, everybody's hung over from the festival that we went with. So I was like, oh, I'm just hung over. But then a month went by and I still felt hungover. And then six weeks went by and I still felt hungover. And then I'm literally stuck in like a state of like confusion and brain fog for like two months after this festival. And so I'm getting like ultrasounds and like all the, all these tests done and the doctors completely gaslight me and tell me like, it's all in your head. And like, I, I already had that like negative voice in my head that was like, you're crazy. Like you're always the sick one. Like maybe you're making it up. So I was still forcing myself to work out. Um, I was still forcing myself to do things. Cause like this doctor was telling me I'm fine. And then eventually like two months after that festival, after going to another festival in between that, <laughs> I get labs back from my natural doctor in New York City named Gabrielle Francis. Um, and she was like, no, you have Lyme disease. And not only do you have Lyme disease, you have it like really bad. And I was like, wow. And here I just got back from a festival like 
still drinking, still partying, like just force, just doing my best to force myself. I almost like as if mind over matter was going, going to like get me out of this thing. So Natalie, you believe you had Lyme disease from when you were 12 years old and that you got reinfected at 24 and the reinfection at 24 is what caused this sort of second wave of illness that you were feeling. Absolutely. Like I, like going back, like at age 12, I feel like I had like, and this isn't scientifically correct. This is just how I label it. Uh, I feel like I had like autoimmune Lyme where it's like very joint painy and like flu-like symptoms and tired. Um, and then at age 24, I feel like I got like infected with the neurological Lyme. And it, I do have the labs to show it because not only did I get Lyme disease at that time at age 24, I also got um, Bartonella and um, like there's two kind, there's two Lymes, there's Babesia and then there's Lyme disease. So yeah, I got Babesia and Bartonella. And then the Lyme disease lab was past and present. So I, yeah. So how many different doctors did you visit with between the time that you were 12 when you first started showing the symptoms? And of course, your mom was showing her symptoms at the same time. And then finally getting your Lyme disease diagnosis at the age of 24. Um, I probably saw 10 doctors. And if you want me to list them off, I will. <laughs> Well, you don't have to list off every doctor, but what I'd like you to do is share with us how many different things were you diagnosed with? And do you believe that they were misdiagnoses or do you believe they were just diagnosing symptoms that were a part of your Lyme disease? I definitely feel like they were diagnosing very real symptoms that were a part of the Lyme disease. I got diagnosed with like adrenal fatigue, parasites, thyroid disease, where it would be high and low. Um, rheumatoid arthritis. I had like chronic UTIs, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, sleep disorder, bipolar, anxiety, depression. Um, yeah, you name it. Like just like the basics, you know, of what <laughs> everything Lyme disease is. Now you said that you were diagnosed with a number of different emotional or mental health issues, but you always knew that you didn't have any of those mental health diagnoses. Tell us how you knew that you were being misdiagnosed with these various forms of mental illness. Because like, I knew at my core, like I wasn't, this is not who I am. Like it was, it, you can call it intuition. Um, but I knew like on my good days, like I felt super calm and centered, like, and my family, everybody's super chill and stable. So like looking at everybody around me, I'm like, I know that this is not who I am at my core. So what impact did this misdiagnosis of mental illness have on you during these early stages of your life? Um, I felt like a freak, you know, like I just felt like everybody in my age group was having so much fun and, um, you know, nobody really understood. I began drink drinking a lot and just partying and hanging out with the wrong crowd. And that resulted in me getting in some really unhealthy relationships. But yeah, I would say that I, I wish that I would have never gone down the, the psychiatric route because it is really traumatizing. 
Now let's talk about what impact the, psychi the psychiatric analysis or the psychological analysis was having on you first emotionally. Now you said a little bit earlier that the voice in your head or your mind was telling you that maybe you are crazy and maybe you are making these things up. Now, do you believe because doctors were gaslighting you that you were having this sort of mindset that led you to believe that perhaps there was something wrong with you? Yeah, I mean, I think as, as like a society, we're brainwashed into thinking doctors because they went to college that they know better than we do, even though we're the ones, we're the ones experiencing and living the symptoms in the life, you know, where we should know better than doctors. But yeah, I was still in that, that matrix mindset that, that just because a doctor says this, that it's true. And, um, you know, going back, I did have childhood trauma, or I do have childhood trauma. And I know that PTSD, aside from Lyme disease can mimic bipolar because of the the uh, effects on the vagus nerve, you know, like you're living in fight or flight, and then you burn out because your your adrenals and your body can't handle living in fight or flight. So that in itself is a stop and like a stop and go like one foot on the gas and then slamming on the brakes. So um, yeah, I had a lot of factors, um, you know, contributing to me just not feeling well. And now that I have done so much healing on myself, like lots of meditation, Reiki, um, yoga, um, really working on my mindset and healing that vagus nerve. Uh, I now know like, like that gut feeling and at, at a young age was correct. Like that's really just not who I am. And I, I think I listened way too much to what the doctors had to say. So now let's talk about the relationship that you had with your doctors. And we call it the great white coat syndrome, where, you know, we believe that the, you know, the doctor rides in on the white horse, diagnoses us, gives us a pill and we get better. Do, were you one of the people that believed that these uh, folks were, um, were bigger than life and they can come in and save us when we were sick? Um, I, I'm very lucky that my mom introduced me to natural medicine before ever really taking me to, uh, to get treated by, um, Western medicine. And so I, I did have a basic understanding that, you know, Western medicine isn't everything. However, I did think that they knew way more than me and that I should trust what they said because they went to college. What was the difference between your experience with doctors who were trained in an Eastern philosophy versus the doctors who were trained in the Western philosophy? I would say going to a natural doctor definitely feels like, like, like going, it's like more like mothering, like more welcoming and more like nurturing. And like, they really hear what you have to say. And I feel like it's more of like a, um, like a, like a team effort, whereas Western medicine, it feels like they don't even really look at you. They just look at your labs. And sometimes those aren't even trustworthy. Um, and they, that's pretty much it. You're just like a number and your blood work is just a number and here's some pills and bye. <laughs> so now let's, let's talk about your diagnosis. Um, how were you finally diagnosed? Meaning what type of testing did your doctor in New York do to assist you with determining that you had Lyme disease? So, um, yeah, I, I, was, I was modeling in New York at that time. And I 
she did the Western blot on me and then immediately sent me, my natural doctor did the Western blot and then immediately sent me to uh, an infectious disease doctor in Manhattan. And, and he did the Igenix test on me and that's where he found the Babesia and the Bartonella. And then um, he started treating me with Doxy, but he didn't treat me long enough. And so he stopped the treatment after like two months and then I immediately started feeling sick after but he gaslighted me which was very strange <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we'll get there in one second let's yeah. talk about how the diagnosis helped you or hurt you meaning how did things change once you now had a diagnosis for all of the symptoms you had been feeling for the last 12 years um I went into healing mode like I rested a lot. I went from working out so hard to, to model, to like sleeping a lot and actually not feeling guilty for sleeping a lot and not feeling guilty for not showing up to things. Um, I was still at age 24, I was still in a, an abusive relationship. So that was really hard. I was dating an addict addicts and, um, that was very, very hard on me, but I started just researching herbs. I started researching Kundalini yoga, which is a nervous system healer. Um, and I started just researching like mindset work. And um, I just spent my days just doing whatever I could to get my nervous system working in my favor. So the first thing that your diagnosis did for you is it allowed you to change your mindset and you went from living a life that perhaps was not as healthy as it should have been to now living a life where you are now looking to learn how you could heal. So there was a mindset change after you received your Lyme diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think I took it very seriously at first, like, like now looking back, it took me a few years to really, really, really take this, this thing seriously. Cause I only really took like four months off of modeling and um, and of like partying, but once I felt like a percent better, like probably like 20% better, I went straight back to like modeling, traveling all over the country, partying. And so I, I really had to learn the hard way to stop everything. And we'll focus on relapsing in some of those decisions you made, but let's just focus on that window of time after the diagnosis. So how did the voice in your head change after you had gotten the diagnosis? Meaning you seem to have had this voice that was kind of critical of Natalie before she had her diagnosis. Did the diagnosis now change that voice in your head? Yeah, I, I think I went from being super critical to just beginning to connect the dots and show myself more compassion. Um, and I really started to, um, validate my experiences more and more and shortly after I started getting and it was it was so divine you know what I mean looking back it was so divine because um, you can call it God or whatever you want to call it but like I received visions of my childhood trauma that I had suppressed for you know let's see 18 years and so um I not only did I re realize that my physical body was crying out to me um, and I was ignoring it, but also I realized that like my, my mental, like, you know, like my inner child was crying out to me to be, to be heard and to be taken care of. So I really started to um, just 
learn how I can heal this. And I got introduced to my best friend who's a trauma psychotherapist. And there's just like no coincidence of those couple of months because she taught me so much about trauma. So a lot of healing began to take place during that time. So again, your mindset changed, allow you to now explore various elements that you had been suppressing during your life. Mm-hmm. And that occurred as a consequence of you now having compassion for yourself that was driven by your diagnosis. Yeah. And I think I also like my whole mind, body, spirit system was so slowed down by Lyme disease that I was then able to uh, hear or see like my intuition and like parts of me that I suppressed because of that slowing down from Lyme disease. So now let's talk about the physical changes that you made as a result of getting your diagnosis. So there was a window of time where you started to live differently, including the way you were eating and drinking and sleeping. So talk to us about how your diagnosis triggered those healthy changes. Yeah, I, I became like very intuitive during that time. I, my body just wanted fruits and vegetables and like, um, like smaller portions of meat. So before that I was training a lot and lifting weights and, uh, I was a lingerie model. So I was just trying to stay like, like tight and muscular. Um, and so I completely shifted my diet just like intuitively, like I said, and started eating less meat and only like fruits and vegetables. Um, and you know, some rice and stuff like that. And then also I just started unapologetically sleeping as long as I needed to. And, um, just like not working myself as hard, but I think that one working out hard took longer for me to change than anything. So now talk to us about how your diagnosis changed you socially, meaning what types of social changes were triggered by your diagnosis? Um, I would say I stopped going out as much and, but it really took me like a solid year and a half for me to let that go. Like I was going to raves, I was going to music festivals, um, my like house parties, like I was always like doing something fun. And I don't regret that at all. It took me like, I, I knew I had to let it go at some point, but I like was like mourning that because it was just such a big part of of my life, you know, just like going out with friends, going to concerts. I still do those things, but it's very like, it's more special instead of like a big part of my life. Now, did the diagnosis help you with any of the people that you were having challenges with in your life? For example, you said that you and your dad had a difficult relationship because he wasn't he wasn't as accepting of your illness as, um, as you would have liked to have, him to have been during that window of time between 12 and 24. Did your diagnosis help you with your relationship with your dad because you now had a way of describing what was wrong with you? Yeah, I think um, up until 2019, like he didn't believe me, you know, and now he really believes me because um, in 2019, it started to show in my skin. And I started to get like really red skin um, and like a lot of acne and, you know, just rosacea. So 
that was a way for my dad to see that it's not all in my head because he could then see it on the outside too. And then um, this past fall, um, he started to believe me as well. So there's been a lot of positive shifts and I would say we are definitely closer because of this thing. So were there any other people in your life who were either doubting you or gaslighting you that you were able to heal that relationship with as a result of getting your diagnosis? Yeah, I was dating this guy for six years and the, um, he was, he had addiction issues and he was super gaslighty and very abusive to me whenever I was sick and would call me lazy, would call me names because he would come home and like the laundry still wouldn't be done and just things like that. And, um, you know, I looked fine. So that was just very confusing for him. The fact that I looked fine. Now, Natalie, you had this long diagnostic journey. It was about 12 years. Um, do you believe that your gender or your age or anything about you interfered with a doctor properly diagnosing you? Definitely my age. Like, yeah, I, I got told that all the time. Like you're way too sick to be complaining about joint pain. I mean, you, you were way too young or way too healthy looking to be suffering from joint pain. Exactly. Yeah. There, there was clearly friction between you and what you needed and what the doctors were providing. Is there anything you can think of that maybe you could recommend to another young person that they may do differently so they can get a better outcome than you were able to get from your interaction with your doctors? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say if you feel like you have um, joint pain or neurological symptoms to get a Lyme test, you know, it doesn't even matter if you remember getting bit by a tick, like requesting those labs and demanding those labs could save your life. So anytime my friends show symptoms, I always tell them to get tested by Lyme. Other than sort of demanding a Lyme test, is there any other tip you might give to a young person who you believe is being gaslit by the medical system? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say um, go to an integrative doctor. That's what I'm doing now. And it's pretty life-changing. Um, she's probably one of the smartest doctors I've ever been to. Um, and also don't stick around for doctors that make you feel like shit. Like there's so many other doctors out there. So Natalie, I want to go back to your symptoms. You mentioned that you went to a second festival with your boyfriend. And when you came back, your symptoms just worsened and never got better after that festival. So what other symptoms did you have? Can you go into some more detail about your symptomology development? Totally. Yeah. So up until age 24, I was just joint painy and fatigued and um, like hormonal. Um, my hormones were really messed up too. Um, and then from 24 until present, I would have like these neurological flare-ups where it's like, just like tingling in the body, um, migraines, like my vision going out, um, like being feeling like brain dead, like somebody just like sucked my soul and my personality. Um, seeing like kind of having like fuzzy, like, like electric things in my vision. Don't even know what that's called. <laughs> um, like I experienced blacking out and tremors and like convulsions um, this past fall. 
And yeah, basically, let me think what else, like even like slurred speech and just feeling like, like, it's kind of like feeling like drunk. Like I remember just like walking and like having to like hold on to the walls. Um, and that was just recently. So it's really, really crazy. And I'm just always learning more about what this disease can do to you because it seems like every flare up comes with like new symptoms. Natalie, talk to us more about now when you finally get diagnosed uh, through your mom's naturopathic doctor, what were, or what was the first treatment protocol prescribed to you for your Lyme disease? Um, she, she had me on a detox program, which was just with herbs and supplements and um, stuff for Epstein-Barr, which I also have really bad. Um, and then she immediately sent me to the integrate or the infectious disease doctor. And he also put me on herbs like cat's claw, burdock root, um, all of that. But I don't really know, I guess it does work, but it's very subtle. Um, but I will say that the doxycycline has been like the only thing that I can be like that really, really works along with glutathione as far as like what a doctor has given me. And did you start off with the antibiotics and glutathione or is that something that was introduced later on in your, in your um, treatment protocol? That was pretty much within a month of, of getting a diagnosis. Talk to us about what it was like when you started the herbal protocol. Did you feel anything at all? Did you feel worse? Was there a Herxheimer reaction? I definitely Herxed, for sure. And do you think if you would have given the herbs um, more time before introducing the antibiotics and the glutathione, you would have started to feel better? Or do you think that that wasn't strong enough to actually uh, work for you and how severe your Lyme disease was? I, so I did doxy and then did a really, like a really intense round of herbs without doxy afterwards. And so I did Herx and I did feel better, but he, my doctor released me. He was like, I'm not going to treat you anymore because I've been seeing you for four months. And yeah. And I ended up going back to him. Yeah. So I would say they were working, but I don't think he took me that seriously. So it sounds like you were on the right track with the herbs and the antibiotics and then the more aggressive herbs, but then before it was actually enough to actually help you get better, your doctor cut you off. It sounds like, is that correct? Yeah. He was Lyme literate. Like that's what he specialized in. So it was very weird. So now at this point, you're still sick. Your doctor basically cut you off. What were your next steps? So um, I was basically just let let loose into the wild of Lyme disease. <laughs> and I started getting heart palpitations probably like three or four months later and to the point where it would like stop me in my tracks and like really bad migraines. And he just told me it's because I'm doing too much yoga. So did you, did you actually believe that at this point? It sounds like you always knew deep down inside that there was obviously something bigger going on in your body. I didn't believe that, but I started just like finding my own herbs and, you know, just trying to do it my own way. But then probably six months or maybe three months after the heart palpitations, I started getting like aggressive acne, like red face, like cysts, like the size of a quarter. And so I was like, whoa, something is going on. 
Now, when you started to develop this really bad acne, it sounds like you were self-treating for Lyme by doing your own research and purchasing herbs and taking them on your own. At that point, when the acne developed, did you decide to seek help from another doctor? No, because I was like, well, he said he wouldn't even treat me. I'm like, I don't even know where I would see another infectious disease doctor. Like, I know they're like $20,000 to get into, and I don't have that kind of money. So this is pretty gangster, but I ended up going to the dermatologist and being like, I need doxycycline for my acne. And she was like, okay, cool. She was like, you should be on Accutane. And I was like, oh, hell no. Cause with all my symptoms, I know I shouldn't be taking Accutane. So I was just like, yeah, just give me doxy. And so she did. So I just started treating myself and seeing dermatologists. So the acne actually act, ad, acted as like a, a helper in a way, which it shouldn't be. But I, yeah, I, I'm just like, I can't afford a Lyme doctor. Natalie, I'm sitting here blown away that you were failed by a Lyme litter doctor in New York City. You knew you were still sick from Lyme. You then use your dermatologist and your <laughs> acne symptoms from Lyme to basically force your dermatologist to give you doxycycline for your acne rather than Accutane to self-treat yourself because nobody else will listen to you about your Lyme diagnosis. Exactly. I mean, I, that's not like, that was the first time I did that, but I have done it multiple times since. Um, and basically what I do is um, like celery juice, doxy, um, herbs like cat's claw and mullein and teasel root. Um, and just like gut support and detox support. And I just hit it hard. You know what I mean? Like every day, no excuses. Um, and yeah, cause I just know like what, what really could they do for me? And that's the point, that's the place I've gotten, you know? So, so, and we say this often in the Lyme community, but you are the perfect example of somebody who took your health into your own hands and literally navigated the system to get you the treatment that you needed and then pursued other alternative treatments that you were able to get on your own to heal, your, to heal yourself. And something I'm curious about is you had all of these autoimmune complications when you were younger from the first time you were infected from Lyme disease when you were 12. Now that you were diagnosed at 23 and you're going down this, this basically self-treatment journey, were your autoimmune symptoms getting better as well or were they still remaining the way they were before your second diagnosis? Hmm. I would say... The, yeah, the joint pain. Yeah, I would say they were getting better, but I still, I still struggle with like the hormone stuff. And when I flare up, I do definitely experience some type of adrenal thyroid, um, like blowout, you know. And you did mention something earlier about yoga actually being a nervous system healer. So we've heard a lot of people on our podcast talk about using yoga, but in a way to sort of they use yoga as a relaxing technique and a way to do gentle stretching and gentle exercise. We've never heard, we've never heard about yoga being referred to as a nervous system healer. So can you go into more detail about what type of yoga you do and how it actually helps you calm down your nervous system? Absolutely. So I practice Kundalini yoga, which is basically breath work and meditation and chanting mantra. And so, um, all three breath work, chanting uh, mantra and meditation 
they all have like they they all have a nervous system effect they all calm the nervous system so if you're experiencing even if you're experiencing um like too much of a stuck energy like a very like heavy stuck like brain foggy depression or if you're on the other side and experiencing like the hyper vigilant like paranoia which Lyme Lyme can do uh, panic attacks and all of that wherever you are on the spectrum um, all of these practices like kundalini especially just brings you back to center and so um, it's very important that if you are listening to this that you practice like white tantra kundalini because there's a lot of weird things on youtube that say they're kundalini and they're not um so that's very important but basically what they what it does is it activates the vagus nerve and so a lot of times when you have a chronic illness this vagus nerve is is out of balance and so that's where things like the paranoia or the uh depression can can really um take place and so like another thing like the breath work it just boosts your immune system getting that oxygen in the body it um, activates um, the, the immune system and it also purifies your blood. It alkalize, alkalizes your blood. Um, it strengthens your lungs, which is really good because a lot of people with Lyme have air hunger. And so like doing breath work is so, 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 so beneficial for the lungs and like the muscles around the lungs. And um, it's good for your brain it just really, it, it does things that like medicine really can't do. Like, you know what I mean? So Natalie, I'm just going to stop you there because we've heard, we've touched on some of these things in past podcast interviews, but you're giving us a lot more and a bigger picture approach to this. So the breath work, we know, you know, deep breathing exercises allow people to calm their brain down from that fight or flight state by stimulating the vagus nerve. So we, we've heard that before, but what's so interesting is the breath work not only activates the vagus nerve to calm down your brain in the fight or flight mode, but it also purifies your blood. It also alkalizes your blood, which really we know when you're Lyme, with Lyme, your, your body becomes acidic and that's when you become symptomatic. So to, to alkalize your blood is actually helping the Lyme disease as well. And it's also strengthening your lungs and your brain all at the same time. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a whole bunch of things that a very simple exercise like, like breath work can actually help Lyme patients in many, many different ways in, in a way we haven't heard before described on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, you, if anybody listening wants more info on this, this is like what I specialize in and offer. And I can at least point you in the right direction. But yeah, I mean, this practice was just placed in my path and I felt better immediately. Like it, it basically, it also uh, balances the hemispheres of the brain. So a lot of times in Lyme disease, like that in itself is super messed up and out of balance. So it does a lot at once. And the best part about uh, white Tantra Kundalini yoga is that you only need to practice for 10 minutes. Like it does all of this in 10 minutes. Whereas like regular yoga and regular meditation, you just need, you need like 30 minutes for your brain to start, to start doing these things. And this practice, um, it, it uses um, mudras, breath, drishti, which is what you do with your eyes, like the eye gaze in this practice that alone, like balances the pituitary gland in the brain. Um, 
the sound currents from the mantra kind of get you like in a hypnotic state, which is really, really good for activating the parasympathetic, that calming state. So um, I can't say enough about this practice. I've been practicing regularly since my diagnosis and it's been a huge part of getting me back to who I am at my core, like getting me out of that mindset of like, I have bipolar or any of that. So it's, it's been huge for me. It's interesting that you mentioned that this deep breathing technique can also help with anxiety related to Lyme, but I have friends that suffer from anxiety that I've recommended deep breathing to, and it helps anybody with general anxiety as well. So Rich, we'll get to this later, but I have to ask now because it's a very appropriate time. If people that are listening want to learn more about this white tantra kundalini yoga, do you have a YouTube channel? Because you mentioned there's a lot of a lot of fake stuff out there, or or some sort of resource or a website link you can provide to listeners to go learn more about this white tantra kundalini yoga. Yes, so um, I have a few few meditations on my Instagram, on my IGTV, and then also um, my like the who I take take classes from. It's called Rama Institute, um, A-R-M-A Institute on Instagram. And they have, um, they have so many like price points and they have a YouTube channel as well. Like they are probably the most reputable people you can be learning Kundalini from. So Natalie, we're going to drop your Instagram handle into the show notes of this episode so people can find you and learn more about this if they'd like. But there's so many other topics that I want to get to with you now. And from speaking with you offline and reading your pre-interview questionnaire, we learned that you use a lot of other techniques and you've learned a lot of things in your journey that we haven't heard of before on this podcast. And one of them I really want to explore in a deep manner with you is how certain types of water can actually generate inflammation. And I drink water all the time thinking it's good for me. I mean, I drink probably too much water if that's possible. So I'm very interested to learn how certain types of water can actually generate inflammation, which is a really, really uh, common struggle for many people with Lyme disease. Absolutely. So just like speaking on a molecular level, the actual water molecules um, of all water, they're too big to penetrate the cells. And so it, it's like kind of like a tea bag, like you have to heat the water for the water to penetrate the tea bag because without the heat, the molecules are too big. So the heat makes the molecules smaller. And so um, I have a uh, medical grade water machine that changes the molecular structure of the water to make the molecules smaller. So that's not even speaking to the alkalinity factor. That's just like, the actual size of the molecules. So that alone, like the water I have, it penetrates the cells on a whole other level. And when I, the first couple of days I started drinking this, I started getting really bad migraines. And it's because it was like penetrating my brain, the water on a whole other level that I've ever experienced in my life. And so other water, um, not only are the molecules different, but it has, like it has toxins in it from tap water, Brita filters, and that raises the alkalinity in in the body. And if even reverse osmosis, um, if you buy uh, bottled alkaline water, all of those waters have added chemicals in it um, that totally mess up the pH in the body. And then um, like alkaline bottled water, 
it has added chemicals in it to make it alkaline. But because your stomach, the acid levels, by the time it gets in your stomach, it's no longer alkaline. So it's like fake alkaline water. And they make so much money off of that. And all bottled water is literally in a, comes from a factory and it's not even as like nice as they make it seem. It's just like, like, you know, how in the factory they just have like almost like robots just like pouring water. And so it's getting all the chemicals from the factory and from the plastic bottled water. So that is horrible for you. It's more acidic than, than Coke. And, um, and so tap water, they've found arsenic in it. They found prescription meds in it. Um, it's just like, no bueno. Like we are just, especially with Lyme, like we are dealing with so much toxicity. And so, um, this medical grade device that I purchased has been a game changer for sure. Natalie, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you know the name of this medical grade water cleaning device for our listeners who want to research and look more into this topic? Yeah, so it's um, it's called Enagic, and it's the K8, and um, it was made by the guy that created the colonoscopy and the colonoscope, and he's a Japanese doctor, um, and he treats the um, the Queen of England. He treats a lot of famous people. He's a world-renowned doctor, and he works at the Albert Einstein um, uh, School hospital or is it the school of medicine so he's like he's a boss like he knows his stuff and he won't even see patients unless they drink this water for three months so i can guarantee you if i don't ask you this question we're going to get a ton of dms about it can you spell the name please of the, the device <laughs> it's e e <laughs> like stuttering um e n a g i c in it's like energy and magic in one word the magic k8 thank you thank yeah. you so one of the other topics we wanted to explore with you is you kind of touched on this a little bit how lime can create brain inflammation and alter alter your mood and your behavior have you ever experienced anything like lime rage and and you know maybe today you better understand what it what it really was but at the time be confused about what was really going on with you yeah so I, during flare-ups, I start thinking everybody hates me and I start thinking like my friends hate me and um, yeah, I start thinking the worst. Like if I send a text without like an emoji with a smiley face, I'll be like, does he think I'm being rude? Like, I don't know. I just like start playing these scenarios in my head that are so not real. And if I don't get a grip on that, um, it can become really isolating almost like social paranoia. Like I never get like angry. I just get like almost angry at myself a little bit. So Natalie, this is like the theme of the week. I mean, our, our last guest, we talked about this a little bit and actually we had, a, as I mentioned in our last interview, we had a, a Lyme group this week that I attend that had, um, that we, where we talked about this a little bit where when you have Lyme disease, you, you, as you said so well, you develop these unreal scenarios and these, this social paranoia where everybody hates you or you're not handling things right or what do they think if I don't put an emoji and you overanalyze these situations. And it's important to recognize that you need to really be aware of that and try to calm down that, that um, over, overthinking or the irrational thought process. So I think that's totally. a really important topic to think about with Lyme disease that you don't hear often. Totally. And um, like, meditation what ends up happening is like 
you you begin to separate yourself from this this like paranoid I don't even want to say aspect of yourself it's almost like a lime factor that comes in because I don't believe it's really true of the self but meditation separates like your conscious observer begins to observe like this aspect of you or a situation and kind of like detach and it really does help it 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 just creates like a healthy detachment from Lyme disease. And it's something like medication cannot provide. So you've done a lot to really help yourself heal, obviously. Um, You know, we've talked about a lot of them already, but some other things that we've talked about offline that you've used to help you in your Lyme healing journey. One of them is the combination of CBD and marijuana. And many people, I personally take CBD on a daily basis and it's been a uh, game changer for me. I mean, it really has helped me get better sleep. It's helped me with my body pain. It's helped me with my, my emotions. Um, so can you talk to us about how the use of CBD and marijuana has helped you in your healing journey? Yeah, I would say edibles have really been a game changer for me whenever I get insomnia um, and to help like, like, that nighttime Lyme anxiety, you know what I mean? I don't know if you experienced that ever. Um, and it kind of just like wipes, like does something to me. I'm just like, I just go to sleep. Um, and I, I prefer that than taking like a prescription or something. And then I don't do it often. Like I'll buy a batch and then like, it kind of gets my sleep cycles back in sync. So by like the last dose, I'm like good to go. Um, and then CBD has been a game changer whenever I was dealing with like the neuro symptoms, like it kind of just like calms it down, but I need a really heavy dose of that. Like the strongest one they have. Yeah. We, we found that a lot of other people we've spoken to offline, either in groups or just people that reach out to us directly, uh, that if they get THC edibles when they're having really, really bad insomnia periods and they just can't sleep and their symptoms are worsening and they're spiraling. When they take a THC edible, it finally allows them to sleep. And when they, when they, when they wake up after this, you know, maybe 12 plus hours of sleep, they feel so much better. So it almost breaks the cycle of this pattern. It totally does. Yeah. And, and I honestly, I feel like it allows like the neural pathways in the brain to heal um, even just like calm down the inflammation in the brain. Like I just feel like a lot better the next day. So Natalie, the other thing that I'm just in, and obviously there's a lot of things I'm excited to talk to you about, but from reading up on your website and your social media, you also talk about the healing power of mushrooms. And I, I think I'd noted you offline that our last guest told us that she has done everything possible to treat her Lyme disease, except mushrooms. So we're excited to talk to you about the power of mushrooms and how they've helped you in your Lyme healing journey. Yeah, so this was probably the riskiest thing I've ever done. So I was super flared up with Lyme disease a few months of getting my my for real Lyme diagnosis in 2017. And I was um, like all my friends, we were going to um, the ranch house and they were like, let's take mushrooms. And I was so scared because of my Lyme brain symptoms. I was like, God, this is either going to be really good or really bad. Like, (laughs) this is, this is really risky. And I ended up taking like a really strong dose because I had no idea what I was doing. I took like three grams and, um, and I just had an amazing time. I like forgave my father. 
I forgave like a bunch of people that I had been holding like resentment towards. And the next day I felt this sense of like connection to that true self that I keep referencing that I hadn't felt in so long because of the brain fog. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm back. Like that's how it felt like, like I'm back. Like I'm really like, like the brain stuff is gone and I'm back. Natalie, can you also talk to us about, you mentioned in your pre-interview questionnaire that you're using um, mineral detox as part of your healing protocol. Can you talk to us more about mineral detox? Um, yeah, I ended up stopping that because it was so intense. Like it tasted horrible, which was probably the biggest factor, which I pride myself on being able to handle taste stuff. But this was like drinking sewage um, and I could not, couldn't stomach it. So I ended up quitting that one. And what was the idea behind that? Like what's actually in this, this mineral detox that's supposed to help you purge toxins from your body? So, um, most people with chronic illness are mineral deficient, especially with Lyme. And so, um, the minerals actually help the body, um, detox, especially at that high of a dose. So it, it like pushes like candida, it pushes fungus, it pushes all that crap out of your gut lining. So it's like a huge gut lining healer. And if you don't mind the taste, like go for it. It's like pickle juice with sewage, but um, it, it really does work. The, the guy who introduced me to it actually had Lyme disease and did that for quite some time. And he's doing amazing now, no flare ups. Natalie, can you also talk to us about combo from Chad Redding? Yeah. So that the mineral protocol is from him and he also has other protocols that aren't as bad, but um, that's the most intense one. So combo is an ancient um, practice in South America. It's very sacred and um, it's ethical. It's, it's um, frog poison. And so the shaman actually scrapes the poison off the back of the frog, but um, the shaman has a really, like, he's kind of like an animal whisperer most of the time. So it's not like he's over here, like hurting the frog or anything, but um, the frog secretes this poison and he gets it on, the shaman gets it on the stick and then burns holes into the skin and, um, initiates the frog poison on top of the holes. And so I have like scars on my arm. They're super cool looking and it's shaped in a cross and it's a bunch of dots where the frog poison was. And um, it is called the vaccine of the jungle. And oh my God, like I did it twice and I felt so good for like a month after. Um, and it's super intense, like you throw up, you can feel like your whole body pulsing. Um, it's probably not great for the adrenal glands, but I will say like I've, my body never felt that good. So they actually, people with heroin addictions actually go to the jungle to get this because it detoxes the body so fast and it helps people break free from addictions. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, my, my rosacea went down a lot after doing this, but I don't have access to that medicine. Um, and it's like, I would have to travel to do it. So it's not really convenient. 
but I will say it definitely works, but it's something you have to keep doing. Natalie, we're learning so much from you on this interview. And is there anything else that you've done in your treatment journey that you'd like to share with us that has been beneficial for you in your Lyme recovery? Yeah, I will say microdosing mushrooms. So um, that's a huge point. Like if you are if you are new to mushrooms, like you don't have to take the amount I was talking about. Um, I actually don't recommend taking that much because it's really intense. And if I wasn't trained in like energy healing and mindfulness, I probably would have had a horrible time. But um, microdosing is really gentle. Like you actually don't see anything. Um, you really just connect to your heart space and you feel really clear after um, for probably a week or two. So taking like 0.2 is a really great dose and it's actually legal in some states. And um, what it does is the neural pathways in the brain, like they kind of like um, get like not as activated when you have Lyme disease and like maybe some of them are working, but then some of them aren't. Um, it's almost kind of like having like rivers that have like blockages in them. That's how it feels when you have Lyme disease. Um, and so what the, what the mushrooms do is it lights up your whole brain. And so the neural pathways from the front of the brain, the back of the brain, like they're all like lit up, like they actually have brain scans of this. And my best friend goes to uh, continued education for psychotherapists. And she goes to the, the psychedelic uh, conferences that they have for PTSD. And there's actual like photos of the brain where the neural pathways are lit up front to back because of mushrooms. And so if you have any type of like neur neurological um, disease, like there's the, these mushrooms are so healing. Like I've experienced, like, like I could just cry talking about it. Like the amount of suffering I was in, in the last few months was probably the scariest thing I've ever been through. And I've done some crazy shit in this lifetime. And that was hands down the scariest thing I've ever been through. I was like convulsing and all this stuff. And I, like I said, it was a risk, but I, I started microdosing mushrooms and I, I was symptom, I've been symptom free for, for a month. And that's the perfect segue into my, my last question before Rich takes over is, how are you feeling today? And it sounds like you are completely symptom free after being in a really, really bad physical state. Yeah, I would say um, right now where I live, I live in a very swampy, Houston is a swamp with a city on top. And so um, this whole week it's been like, like, uh, like marshy, gray, like rainy. And so I do feel like that environmental, like brain fog that comes in whenever it rains, but I don't have any pain. Um, I'm, I'm still able to work. I, uh, have no like weird brain symptoms going on. And in the month of December, I was microdosing like once a week. So I will say there is something to it. So Natalie, let's talk about the other part of your journey, which has been this journey of transformation. Um, you went from being a small town gal in Texas with this dream of becoming a model, and now you've really taken a very interesting turn in your life. So talk to us about how Lyme disease has created the Natalie, the beautiful young woman that we've uh, been blessed to interview. Uh, tell us about how Lyme disease has uh, created that person. Thank you. That was really sweet. Um, <laughs> I would say 
it has slowed me down so much to the point where I realized what was really important in life. Like I was definitely living a completely different lifestyle, hanging out with people that only care about uh, what name brand you're wearing or like what, what brand you just shot for, um, like how many stupid Instagram followers you have, just like all the things that like don't matter in life. And I was, my whole goal in life was to make it in modeling. And once I started really making it, uh, which was around the time I started really getting sick, I started to realize like, this is so shallow and it's so isolating and it's so not what I really want in life. And so Lyme really got me back to my roots. Like I started realizing that I love the simple things. Like I love family. I love health. I love spirituality and God and I love animals and I love nature. And, and so if it wasn't for Lyme disease, I think I would, I would have waited till my mid thirties to realize who I really was. Now, Natalie, you also went from being, and, it, and I hope you can forgive me for making the observation, from being kind of a self-centered kind of person to now being this really beautiful giving person. So talk about how you made that transition from being this model who was sort of pursuing this Hollywood kind of life, although I know it was largely in New York, to now <laughs> being this person who is now giving and healing and working in, in the healing arena. Yeah, so I started working in the healing arena the first year of my modeling career in New York City. So I started studying healing because I knew something was off in, in my, within myself um, in like 2013. So I've always been super spiritual, um, but I never thought, I never tried, like, it's like my ego wanted the modeling career because um, I thought that would make me important. And because like my younger self didn't feel important, um, you know, cause probably cause the trauma and all that. So I was chasing like this career from a very wounded place. And then it's like, my soul was still like when I wasn't modeling and then when I wasn't partying and like doing stuff with my friends, I was always going to like meditation retreats, meditation workshops and like, like energy healing, um, stuff. And so it's like, my soul still had like this other hobby, but my ego wanted this other thing. So like, um, yeah, it's, it, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember your question. <laughs> I, just, I, I just want you to talk to us about how you went from being kind of a self-centered young person to now being this giving person who's really not, not self-centered at all. So talk, oh, okay. talk about how that, how, <laughs> you know, because I, what I noticed when I was talking with you about your diagnosis is um, both the illness and the diagnosis was sort of a, a, a benchmark for a very different Natalie. Yeah, she started to be more kind to herself. She was able to quiet down the voices in her head and she was able to, you know, heal in a number of different ways, including some of the challenges that she didn't face as a child. But then that caused her to pivot to now go from healing herself to healing other people and being a, a, very, a very giving person. So that was a benchmark that I noticed during earlier mm -hmm. in this interview. And now I want to explore that in more detail with you. How yeah. did that then trigger the new Natalie? Yeah, so I feel like it was always there, but I feel like um, once I started making so much progress in my transformation, and once I started realizing, like, holy shit, like I'm I'm really healing myself from sexual trauma without a doctor. Like I'm really healing myself from like these crazy flare-ups, like without a doctor. Like 
like people need to know about this. You know, there's so many people that have had sexual trauma that are that are really, really hurting. And like, they don't realize like they can really heal, heal themselves. They just need to know how, and they're not crazy. And that's like a huge part of like, what I really want to share with the world is like, you're really not crazy. You're not like your nervous system is just out of whack. And so once I learned like just about like neuroscience, which is like the polyvagal theory and which works with the vagus nerve, I'm just like, everybody needs to know about this. Like we can all benefit from this. Even, even people that work too hard and like their, their cortisol is jacked up and their adrenals are off balance because of how hard they work. Like everybody can benefit from learning mindfulness, from learning all this stuff. And it really just lit a fire in me um, just by seeing my own progress and seeing things shift and change really, really, really fast. Um, and that's when I knew I was onto something. So now, can you talk a little bit about what role psychedelics played in your spiritual transformation? Um, I, I have always been spiritual and I've been training consistently since 2016 or 2013 on um, energy healing and like um, spiritual healing. So by the time I started doing psychedelics, I, um, I, it's like I knew how to navigate it. Um, I mean, they definitely have humbled me many times, but I, I still like could navigate it pretty well. Um, but I would say after psychedelics, I felt a connection um, and I was doing this healing work on the side as well, a lot on myself. I felt a connection and a steady and a consistent connection to my true self that I, um, that with paired with the self-healing work, because that's important. Psychedelics are not a, a quick fix. Um, but paired with the healing work I was already doing on myself, I felt a connection to my, that true self that I had never felt before. And it stayed with me too. But it's because I, I really do believe in the integration period as well. So Natalie, we really want to uh, encourage our listeners to work with you. So can you share with us how folks can get in touch with you if they wanted to work with you on their healing journey? Yeah, so I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and I combine um, mindfulness, spirituality, and psychology, and nervous system healing, and subconscious reprogramming, a lot of belief work as well. And so that's all I do. I was trying to do too much at once, but um, basically just go to my Instagram and message me. So Natalie, I have one last uh, ask of you, and you've offered so much that we know people are going to be blessed by when they hear this uh, podcast and learn from you. But I have one more ask for you. If God forbid your brother came walking into your room right after this interview and he had a tick biting him on his leg, what would you recommend that he would do so that he wouldn't have to go on a terrible chronic Lyme disease journey? Gosh, that is such a tough question. <laughs> oh God. Um, I would have him who I guess I would have him I almost want to say like, like my water machine makes hypochloric acid, which kills all infections and bacteria. So I'm like, would it be a water fast with that, with my water machine? It makes all kinds of water um, or doxycycline. I don't know. Or glutathione, like a lot of intravenous glutathione with the water, maybe. Um, that's a really tough question. 
Well, we thank you, Natalie, for joining us. You've really blessed us and blessed our listeners with so much information. And it was really a joy for you to share with us your beautiful transformation. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I could talk to you all forever. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with the healing prodigy, Natalie Torres. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Natalie Torres and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram pages at water.codes or Natalie Torre. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Boot Camp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Boot Camp have created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please know we appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Boot Camp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. As always, we thank you for listening.